<clears throat> so we're looking at an ancient creed, the first statement of faith that we've been able to find that the earliest Christians believed. A lot of it sounds familiar to you if you grew up in church, because from it, we got something called the Apostles' Creed, but this one's even older and uh, left out some of the controversial stuff. It's called the old Roman sign or the old Roman symbol or the old Roman creed. And this is not boring religion. It's just biblical statements that everybody who says they're a follower of Christ should be able to say, yep, I believe that. I believe that. And the word credo just means I believe. And then in Greek, of course, because we're much more concerned about the Greek, because that's what, you know, the New Testament was written in. The word is pistuo, but the creed is just what you're supposed to believe. It's kind of a basic foundation. Um, and we're just kind of walking through and uh, looking at different statements, and you could take them any one of a thousand different directions. But uh, these are just, let's see here. This one, I'm going to talk about Christ ascending after his resurrection, because if you're a real Christian, you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that they put him in the ground and he rose from the dead on the third day. A lot of people since the Enlightenment say that they're Christians and they don't believe that. You can't really say you're following the Bible and not believe that. That's kind of the centerpiece of the whole Bible. So you can call yourself Christians. I can say I'm a duck, but... I'm not because I don't quack and I don't walk like a duck and whatever ducks do. You can say you're a Christian, but if you don't believe in the resurrection, which means you believe in the death of Christ, and you're like, well, why did he die? Well, he died for our sins. That's kind of the whole centerpiece of the entire Bible. But I want to talk about this, the uh, uh, ascension of Christ after his resurrection. But even more importantly, I want to talk about something related to his ascension, but I will get there. Let's just look at some of these phrases. Um, do I have my glasses? Okay, I believe, and again, for you Greek students, because we've got a bunch of them here, pistio, I believe in God. It's theos. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. The red is what then a lot of you are familiar with. You grew up in church. They put that on later. Maker of heaven and earth. No problem with that. That's in the Bible too, but it wasn't that original statement. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, his mono, Gene. I said Gene last time, and Joe, who's doing a little Greek plans, he said, he said it wrong. No. <laughs> mono, Gene, his only one unique, special, unlike anyone. Now, when we get born, when we're born again, we become Christians, we're God's kids. We get welcomed into his family, but we're not mono, Gene, because Jesus had the very nature of God, and then he became a man. That's why he's unique and different. So he's his only son, our Lord, Kurios. If you say Jesus is your Lord in the biblical sense, then that means you are his slave. If you're not Jesus' slave, he's not your Lord. It doesn't matter if you go to church and you say the words, because Jesus said many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I don't even know who you are. We had no relationship. We can say the words. We can go through the religious rigmarole. But if you really say Jesus is Lord in the way that the Bible teaches it, that means you're his slave. And if that sounds scary, it's because you don't realize that the only way you're ever going to find freedom and joy and peace and satisfaction in life is when you finally let the Lord of the universe be Lord, because you're a terrible Lord of your own life. Have you ever noticed that? You're a terrible Lord. 
You don't know relationships to get into. You don't know a job. You don't know what's going to make you happy. And when you finally submit to Jesus Christ, who happens to be the creator of the universe, who became a man to die for your sins, when you finally submit to him, he shows you what you should be pursuing and what your priorities should be. And he, he, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it to the fullest. I've been doing this for over 30 years. And I, there is one guy that I always say that I envy him, but it's only because he's pushing the stuff harder. I don't envy people with tons of money and all this stuff because I, what we really need is love and loving relationships. So we need a loving relationship with God. And then we need to learn how to have loving relationships with other human beings. And that's what Jesus teaches us how to do. He's like, yeah, and I can take care of that money stuff too. And I can give you meaningful experiences. Yeah, because I made it all. And yes, you can have a great family and all that other stuff. But what you really need is to get your relationship with me straight. But one of my problems is, is that I always launch off on the sermons that have nothing to do with the one I prepared. <laughs> so anyhow, Lord, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is what Christians believe. Jesus Christ isn't just a man. He's a miraculous event. He's creator God, eternal God, who spoke infinite galaxies into being, reduced down to a human being to meet our needs. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus himself taught. And this God laid down his life for you. And he said, nobody takes it away from me. I did this on my own initiative. He said, I could have called, I could have called legions of angels to come and incinerate everybody when they were putting me to death. I went there on my own because I love you. And if I hadn't died for you, you'd all be sunk because you'd have to pay for your own sin. So anyway, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. Uh, and then they added suffered to the Apostles' Creed. Again, no problem. Under Pontius Pilate, Roman official that took over from one of the crazy Herods when the Romans took him. You know, he's a bad ruler, so they kind of set him to the side, and they let Pilate come in. But under Pilate, he was crucified, died, and was buried. This is all verified by non-Christian sources in the first century. There was a man named Jesus. He was crucified. Um, and this set section, where it says he descended into hell, um, that's one they probably should have left out, because that's hard to verify from Scripture. But, I mean, no real problem. It's not like you're going to get into heaven or not, whether you believe that. But it's just not really much in Scripture that says anything about that. It wasn't in the original uh, Roman creed. On the third day, he rose again. We talked about that last week. Really the central uh, truth and if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. What? You will be saved. If you understand what this is all about, you make it yours. You're in. If you're running, wondering how to get right with God, it's understanding what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was all about and owning it for yourself. So now this is what we're going to look at this week. Let's see. See that fancy graphic thing there? <laughs> He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Actually, that's as far as I'm going. I think next week I'm going to look at from there he will come again to judge the living and the dead. He said that. He said he's coming back. He's going to separate the nations like a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. So I don't believe it. Well, do you know anybody else who said, I'm going to lay my life down and then I'm going to take it back up again? And then he went and appeared to 500 people just to prove that it was true. And he said, all right, I came from there. That's where I'm going. See you guys. You have the baton now. Now go take over the world and spread this message. 
Well, he did. He laid his life down, resurrected. And then he, it says he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about heaven. We don't know a whole, whole lot about the realm of God. Um, God is, this is fascinating. People say, well, who created God? Well, nobody. He's not a creation. We, everything that we're surrounded by has parameters and limitations and time and space and all that because we're created being. God's outside of all that. It's like a computer program asking, well, who programmed you? <laughs> it's like it's, it's a nonsensical question. God's not a part of the creation. He made it. So there's all kinds of things about him that we can't fathom, questions we can't answer. But the, uh, the one thing we know is that he loves us. And so he stepped into the creation so that he could solve our sin problem. He took care of it. And then he went back to where he came from. But this is kind of weird. He, the divine nature become, became one person with the, a human nature. Call that the hypostatic union. It's one of the great mysteries. But he went back and he didn't lose the human nature. So even now it says there's one God, the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So anyway, a lot of mystery about it. And I don't know how it all works. I just know that it does work. Because I know a lot of you in this room were shattered beyond all repair. I'm not being dramatic. If you're new to this church, there are people in this church that have been basically brought back to life in a way that nothing else on earth will do. I mean, blown totally uh, and, and restored and now happy, healthy, not going to the therapist anymore, not on meds anymore, thriving, like Jesus said, experiencing the abundant life. I don't know how it all works. I just know that it does work. So, but what this says is that he came from there and he went back there. And again, I can't really give you a whole lot of a, a sermon on there because I don't know what there is and I don't know what all that means. And it says he's seated at the right hand of God. You mean he has a throne? What color is it? Well, this is, this is, speaking, in, this is speaking in language to make sense to us. God is a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And again, this is something about the God realm we don't understand. Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are distinct and separate, but in one thing called Godness. Well, we don't have anything like that down here. Well, we don't have anything infinite down here either. Everything down here has parameters. We can't even think any infinite thought. So he's from this realm that just blows our minds. He came down here and he went back there to meet our need. And yeah, so many things I could get into here, but. I may take this in kind of a strange direction because I don't have a whole lot to tell you about there, what that means. He went back to that place of authority with his father and they both have existed from eternity. And before Jesus became a man, he didn't have any parameters and he was involved in creation. Colossians 1.15, you know, that's what it says. Everything visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers and authorities created by him, Jesus, and for him, Jesus. He's before all things. In him, all things hold together. Every atom in the universe is holding together because Jesus. So 
Now, this is just all what the Bible says. And I decided that, uh, or I didn't decide, God convinced me that the Bible was true. And some of the smartest people who've ever walked the planet have concluded the same thing, believe the same thing, even though at university they act like only dunderheads believe that the Bible is true. It's not, I could show you some of the most brilliant men alive today who believe that that book is God's revelation to us. And Jesus is precisely who he said he was. But what the creed says and what the Bible says is he came from this realm, this infinite realm, solved our problem, and went back to that infinite realm. Where does this phrase come from? Probably nowhere more clearly than Ephesians 4. It's going to take me a minute to get there. I'm just going to start at the beginning of the chapter, even though there were no chapter breaks in the original Bible. So sometimes you miss something if you put too hard a break between chapter 3 and chapter 4, but got to start somewhere. So I, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul, the apostle, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord or worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility. So we're supposed to be as Christians, humble, humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another. I just always say this every week. This is not what Christians are known for right now. Humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance. It doesn't mean you're a pushover and anything goes. Jesus wasn't a pushover. He told sinners to get straight, but he did it with love and humility, patience. The sinners loved him more than the religious folks did. So anyway, another sermon there, reigning in Ted. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, this is us Christians. <laughs> so many crazy things. Churches split all the time, right? Do we even read the Bible? I'm just curious. I mean, do we even, do we even read it? Do we even care what it says? Basically, what he's saying here is kill yourselves as Christians trying to stay together. Strain, strive, struggle to stay together. Nah, I don't like the youth program. Let's on, roll on down the road, you know. Ah, the worship isn't zippy enough. You know, I like the hymns. Let's just can this church. You know, the doctrine isn't pure and true. And well, how long have you been a Christian? Six months. I got it all figured out. They're just not true enough, pure enough. So let's go find a church. We just split, 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 split. How many of you guys have been involved in a church split? Let me see your hands. Raise them high. Let's see those hands. Isn't that glorious? Paul says, man, you should fight, fight, fight this day together. If you got something against somebody in this church, Ask him out to lunch and say, let's pray and talk and figure this thing out. I used to have a friend in Chicago when their kids would fight, they'd make them sit on the front step and put their noses together <laughs> until they figured out how to get along. That's what Paul's saying here. If you're really a child of God, you've been born by the, you know, bought by the blood of Jesus, and you got a problem with somebody else, go stick your nose to their nose until you guys figure out how to get along. Well, anyway, another sermon we got to pass up here. There's one, so this almost looks like a creed now that Paul goes into. There's one body, one spirit. You're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It almost looks like a even more primitive creed or a hymn or something, because Paul would weave those kind of things into his <coughs> letters. But now, what about Jesus going back to where he came from? To each one of us, grace was given. Each one of us who are born again, you're giving a special grace, special gifts from God. According to the measure of Christ's gift, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. That would be all of his opposition, as in Satan and his hosts who 
basically owned us because of our sin. He defeated them all by dying on the cross. And it says elsewhere in Colossians, it says he, he basically has like a, he's like a victorious Roman general with his captives all chained up behind him. That's what he did to the hosts of hell. Amen. Isn't that good to know? I don't have to be afraid of the devil. I don't have to be afraid of the, the, the host of hell because Jesus defeated them and I'm with him. So it says, when he ascended, he led captive a host of captives. He gave gifts to men or people, anthropos. That's general term for human beings. Part of being a Christian is not just you get a ticket to heaven. Some people have such a shallow vision of what it means to be a Christian. You get every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You get the fullness of life. You get peace. You get joy. You get power. You get purpose. You get a new family. You get wisdom. Everything. So when he ascended, he led captive captives, and he doled out a bunch of gifts. And he keeps doling them out. He's an infinite God, and his sacrifice frees up. It's like unlocks the blessings of heaven to us. These are not just platitudes. If you feel empty, dissatisfied, longing for something, you don't know what it is. This is what it is. It's Christ. It's getting a hold of what he did, who he was, coming into relationship with him and having him fill your life with the good things. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That was weak. (laughs) Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's true. Honestly, I've been doing this 30 years and I know there's dead religion and dry religion and boring religion, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what this is talking about. I mean, I'm not like Paul, but I'm getting it a little bit. And a little bit's enough. More than enough. So anyway, here's where it says very clearly that he ascended. Now he goes on to explain. Now he ascended. What does it mean? Except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. Now, some people think that's hell, but... Actually, probably probably the best interpretation is he's just talking about coming to earth. He came to earth, this lower realm. He who descended is also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. So I'm going to take this in a interesting direction that maybe, I don't know, if you've ever heard a sermon doing a similar thing with this, I'd be interested to hear about it. But it's that that basic idea that in order to ascend, he had to first descend. And have you ever thought about how far he had to descend? Have you ever meditated on that? Infinite God. He, sometimes I like to watch things about astronomy and how vast the universe is and You ever done that? Anyone? Let me see your hands. You ever done that? Blows your mind, doesn't it? Makes you feel like like nothing. It can be a little bit depressing. And then sometimes I like to just dabble things about quantum physics. Anybody like to do that? Look, just stuff. Because what they say is, and this some of you guys, I don't even know what you're talking about. What they say is this vast universe that we live in, there may be infinite universes very similar to it stacked up next to it beside it so so this infinite universe that we can't get a handle on they're actually they're actually quantum physicists a lot of serious quantum physicists are arguing there may actually be infinite number of universes very much like ours infinite number of them 
So you want to feel small. You know, don't just meditate on the dog star, which would swallow up all the planets in our galaxy and our sun. Meditate on the fact that that's just one dot in an infinite galaxy full of those dots in perhaps a multiverse with an infinite number of those universes. And according to the Bible, Jesus made them. Or the Bible's a lie and let's throw in the trash can and go scratch and claw and try to figure out what this life is about. It's either the one who died and rose from the dead made it all, or this is all a farce. And again, I don't know anyone else in history who said, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to take it back up again. And I keep talking about Lee Strobel and the case for Christ. And those books are excellent, excellent books. It was a uh, uh, Yale trained. I went online. I said, what's the best law school? Yale, Yale trained lawyer, uh, Chicago Tribune uh, reporter basically wanted to disprove Christianity and the resurrection to pull his wife out of what he thought was craziness. And he ended up joining the team. So there's a movie about it if you want to see. This is not for dumb dumbs. This is a, it's good evidence to believe in the resurrection. But if Jesus was who he said he was, he made it all. And then he became one of us. And then he let us kill him. Because he knew that there was no other way for us to be saved because we're such little monsters and we were sinners and we deserved death and hell. And he said, the only way to get them out of this is if I take it on myself. So he did it. He solved our problem, finished the job. Like Hebrew says, he's the radiance of his glory, who's God's, the exact representation of his nature. Once he had satisfied, you know, he, he had accomplished his mission made purification for sins, Hebrews 1 said he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and went back to heaven. This is Christianity. And this is what we're supposed to believe if we believe the Bible. Pretty, pretty big stuff, pretty big time stuff. Now, of course, the world's going to fight against it. Of course, the unsaved university is going to fight against it. And of course, unsaved Hollywood is going to fight against it. And they're going to they're going to caricature Christians and they're going to say we're dumb. And there are a lot of dumb Christians that make the rest of us look dumb. But that's irrelevant. There is a truth. And it is profound. And the loftiest intellects on the planet, like the Apostle Paul was in his day, have embraced it. And it has transformed their life. And they preached it. And it has transformed Everybody that they brought this message to who embraced it, this is Christianity. But what I want you to think about is that gap, that condescension. Um, this particular Ephesians 4 passage, you see here, uh, whenever your Bible highlights and puts in caps a section like this, do you know what that means? It means you need to go back to the Old Testament. Uh Books that were written centuries, sometimes even a millennia and a half or more, a couple of millennia prior to this time, because what they're saying here, they're saying this is a fulfillment of what was written. So this is a New Testament author saying this is a, written, a fulfillment of an Old Testament <coughs> prophecy. This is a very strange, interesting psalm. If you want to, the psalms are just ancient Israel's hymn book. 
If you take your Bible, Old New Testament, you flop it open halfway, you'll usually hit the Psalms. But it's just, there's 150 Psalms. This is the 68th. And it is the talk of God. It's pretty amazing. Let me just, uh, let's see here. 68, let's go there. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Now think about this in terms of Jesus, because all of this was pointing to Christ. Let those who hate him flee before him. Who is that? The host of hell. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before our God. You can't be God. You, you got to join his team. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's futile. You can't beat him. He's going to win. He's determined. He loves us. But if you want to hold on to your sin, you'll be destroyed with your sin. That's not going to be good for anybody. So you might as well join the team. Um, besides that, if you're walking in sin, you're just ruining people and you're dissatisfied. Anyway. So he loves us, but let the wicked perish before God. Let the righteous be glad. Let them exult before God. Yes. Let them rejoice with gladness. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song for him who rides through the desert. Whose name is Yahweh. That's. For those of you who don't come here, that's when your Bible says Lord in caps. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh. That's his personal name. It means he is. He is what? Get to know him. He'll show you. Exalt before him. Now, did you know this about God? Because a lot of us have crazy ideas about God. He's a power monger. He's a controller. He's a jerk. He made my life miserable. He doesn't care about me. Look at this description of him. A father of the fatherless. And a judge for the widows. Is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. Sounds like a pretty good guy, doesn't he? Not the jerk maybe you or I grew up with. In our head, Satan helped us form some perverted vision of who he was. But he's really... Ultimately, who is he? He's Jesus. That's who he is. If your God doesn't look like Jesus, then you've been bamboozled. Because this is basically describing the character of Jesus. Father of the fatherless, judge for the widows. Is God is holy up. He makes a home for the lonely. He leads the prisoners out of, uh, he leads the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell on parched land. God will forgive anybody. He loves everybody. We just have to give up our destructive ways and come to him, let him forgive us, fill our lives, etc. So this quote from Ephesians comes from this passage, and it goes on to say, the chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands, the Lord is among them, as at Sinai, in holiness, you have ascended on high, you have led captive your captives, you have received gifts among men, you're like, wait a minute, the other one said give, and this one says received. I knew the Bible was a farce and it was full of contradictions. <laughs> well, not exactly. What they're this this, yes, as God is out just plundering his enemies, he's taking everything. That's what you do in battle. So, yes, he's receiving everything, but the ultimate message of this psalm, which this, the, in the New Testament is being summarized in this passage, is what does he do with all those gifts? He doesn't hoard them and take them to heaven and like, I'm not giving them to anybody. 
No, he takes away all the stuff that his enemies have stolen, and then he lavishes them upon his loved ones. That's what he does. That's the, that's the ultimate, one of the main messages of this song. So that's why he changed the wording a smidge here, because he's conveying the message of the psalm, which is, look at this. The Lord gives the command. The women who proclaim the glad tidings are a great host. The kings of armies flee before, the, before this victorious warrior. But she who remains home will divide the spoil. All the goods are going to bring so much stuff. Even, even you know, the, the women who are staying home and I'm part of the army, they're going to bring so much stuff. It says, when you lie down among the sheepfolds, you'll be like the wings of a dove covered with silver pinions and glistening gold. So basically, you're like lying around in heaps of plunder because of what God has done to his enemies. And ultimately, what did he do? Did he keep all the stuff? No, he lavished it all upon his people. So that's where that phrase comes from. Now, back in the day, everybody knew all these psalms. We don't know any of them. I know the Lord is my shepherd. First two lines, you know. There's 150 of them, and that one's a really short one anyway. So uh, it's, they used to know this stuff like the back of their hand. And so when Paul would refer to this, oh, yeah, they'd memorize it. Christians who are serious, like in China, if you read Brother Young, anyone read Brother Young's biography? As soon as he got saved, what did he start doing? Memorizing whole books. Whole books of the Bible. Started memorizing whole books. We just, I don't know. I mean, so, so back in the day, if he quoted Psalm 68, you're like, oh, yeah, we know what you're talking about. We know why he flipped that word around there, because, yeah, ultimately, it's not about taking stuff. It's about him lavishing stuff on us. But this is where it comes from, this whole ascent. Talks about the ascent. But then Paul goes on to clarify in Ephesians. He who ascended had to first descend. And all week long, that's what I've been thinking about is the descent. It's a great passage. It talks about the descent of Jesus from his place as God. Philippians 2. This is, if you're a serious Christian, you ought to have this at the ready. You ought to memorize this. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, the Bible never says Jesus was God. He was just a great teacher. Jesus, in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. So I don't have to stay in this position being waited on by billions of angelic. I mean, you, you read the passages where people get visions of what's going on up there. And it's so mind-blowing. Sometimes the prophets are like, it was sort of like a, kind of like a, it was like an eagle with a man and it was sort of like gold, but it was see-through and uh, it was like four-dimensional and the city was four-dimensional. It was, was kind of sort of like from this realm he came from where he was on his throne being worshipped as he should be. And he said, I don't need to hang on to all this. I'll become one of them. So he who ascended had to first descend. Emptied himself of what? I don't need to function as almighty. Oh, you want to argue? Bam! Right? I know exactly what you're thinking, you know, right? You can never, I'm, I'm going to set all that aside. I'm going to be limited. Put on a body. I'm going to get hungry. I'm going to get tired. 
emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, doulos, being made in the likeness of men. He became just like us. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. The God who created life, we brought death into this realm, but the God who created life submitted himself to death. For this reason, God highly exalted him, bestowed on him. The name which is above every name, so the name of Jesus. Every knee bows. Those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess, he is Lord. How far he went to solve our problem, and then he went back. I haven't even gotten to my main point. 